Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom. I am Dr. Ann Davis with Bible Interact. I have been teaching in the last few sessions about the remnant of Israel. I'm done with that now. I hope I have convinced you that all the children of Israel have been born to God as his firstborn son. That We, we read that in Scripture in Exodus 4.22. All the children of Israel are God's firstborn son. As the firstborn son, they are entitled to an inheritance called a um, a birthright. This birthright of inheritance has nothing to do with being saved or not being saved. It's a special inheritance for leadership. So that all those firstborn son born to the birthright are, are raised up into a position of, of leadership. However, the biblical narrative tells us over and over again that if the firstborn son is not worthy of that position of leadership, then that particular inheritance of the birthright is removed from him and given to another son. That doesn't mean that he's no longer God's son. He is God's son. He continues to be God's son. Take, for example, Reuben. Reuben was the firstborn son of Jacob. He was born to the birthright. He was clearly born to the birthright. But it was taken from him and given to Joseph. So, so all the children of Israel belong to God. They were all born to the birthright, but only some of them will rise up into that position of leadership to inherit the birthright. Now, I have gone on to show you from Scripture, I believe, that the children of Israel who are entitled to inherit the birthright will be a remnant. And then I went on to show the role of the remnant. It's a future role where those who are, are in the remnant are the leaders. They're the ones who obey God. They're the ones who walk in righteousness. And they are being prepared for a final battle that will occur after the millennial kingdom. And in that final battle, Satan and his uh, remnant, there will be a remnant of Satan, will be destroyed. And we can see that picture in the story of Daniel. Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the furnace of fire. That's that's a prophetic picture of the future battle between God's remnant and the remnant of Satan. Now what I want to do is I want to talk about the remnant of the church. By church I mean believers in Yeshua. That's how I use the word church. That's the way it's used in in scripture. There will be a remnant of the church. All those with faith in Christ belong to God, just like all the children of Israel belong to God. They all belong to God. However, God will select a remnant, not only out of Israel, but also out of the church. And that remnant is being raised up into a leadership position and will join the remnant of Israel at some future time in that, in that battle. Now, um, I suspected this for a long time, but it took me um, actually quite a few years before I finally worked it out in Scripture. This is, this is the way I suspected it. You see, we read in Scripture, Deuteronomy, that God is no respecter of persons. 
That's Deuteronomy 10.17. And it's repeated in the book of Acts. Peter says the same thing. God is no respecter of persons. So both in the Hebrew Scriptures and in the New Testament, we see that God treats his children Israel the same way that he treats his children who are Gentiles, but they are they have belonged to him through their faith in Christ. They're not Jews, they're Gentiles. Now, so, uh, by the way, uh, the New King James uses no respecter of persons. The New American Standard Bible says God is not one to show partiality. But it's, just, it's the same thing. It, it means that God treats Israel the same way that he treats believers in Christ. Now, I finally discovered it in Romans chapters 9 through 11. I had been working on Halakhic Midrash, which I had found in Paul's letter to the Galatians, and lo and behold, bingo, there was Halakhic Midrash in, in, um, in Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 9. Now let me briefly explain Halakhic Midrash. The Jews at the time of Yeshua in the first century, we can see this from the literature, believed that God had placed everything in Scripture that mankind would ever need to know. Some of it was on the plain surface literal meaning, but because God was infinite, his word was also infinite. So there were embedded mysteries in the depth of Scripture that could be drawn out when needed by these methods of Midrash. And this is, um, there are two methods of Midrash. This particular method is halakha. And what is typically done is that there are two verses from the Hebrew Scriptures that are legally and conceptually similar. And then there's an analogy performed between the two verses. Um, What is the relationship between the two verses? And out of that you draw new meaning that had never been known before. But it was embedded in in Scripture. Now Paul was pulling it out um, with these with these methods of legal midrash, and I found it in Galatians, and and it's also in Romans. And if you go to Romans chapter nine, uh, I'm not going to explain the 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 halakhic midrash and how it works. It's 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 too advanced. I don't have time to do it now. But very quickly, you can see what Paul is doing. If you look at Romans chapter nine, and in verses seven and nine. Let's see, and then again in 12 and 13, you have a total of four citations from the Hebrew Scriptures. The first two are this Halakhic Midrash, it's the relationship between the two, and then the second two also there's Halakhic Midrash. Now, all I'm going to do is show you what it's, you know, the topic here, because in the first citation it's talking about through Isaac your descendants will be named. What is that all about? That's about Yishmael, Ishmael, being born to the birthright, he he was Abraham's firstborn son, but that birthright was given to Isaac. And then it goes on, um, at this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. All right, and again, that's talking about her son Isaac, who's going to be given the birthright. So that's talking both about Isaac, both about Isaac receiving the birthright. And then you get the other two, uh, the older will serve the younger. Well, the older is Esau, the younger is Jacob. Esau was born to the birthright. Now, we can clearly see that. He sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob um, uh, uh, stole the the blessing that was uh, attached to the birthright by deceit. 
And so, and Jacob ended up getting the birthright. Of course, he had to be 20 years in Padan Aram to be prepared, and it was only after that, when he returned, and God changed his name to Israel, from Jacob to Israel, that God declared him to be worthy of the birthright. And then the second one, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. And don't take the word hate. I, I've done a lot of work on that. Maybe I'll do that on another teaching. But anyway, the, the whole Halakhic Midrash here is talking about the birthright. And Paul is saying to the Jews, you you dummies, you've all been born to the birthright, but you're not rising up into the leadership position. Yeshua is the promised Messiah. You're not recognizing him. You're not going to be entitled to the to, to be part of the remnant. Now, um, it, not, Romans 9 through 11 uh, continues. It keeps going on. And to show you that all of Romans 9 to 11 is about the remnant, uh, because we see in, let's see, in chapter 11, look at chapter 11, verse 2, um, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew, or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? And then Paul cites that, um, that, that account about Elijah. They have killed thy prophets, they have torn down thine altars, and I alone am left. That word for left means the remnant. I remain. I'm the remnant. I'm the one that is left, and they are seeking my life. So Elijah was worthy of of that uh, birthright, and he will be part of the remnant. And 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 if you you have to get into the Greek, you have to um, get the equivalent word in the Hebrew to be able to to understand exactly what Paul is talking about. And then Paul continues, and it, and it's again about the remnant. He says, "What is the divine response to him?" And then there's another citation, and and God is saying, "I have kept for myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to Baal, the the pagan god." In other words. God has separated out those 7,000 who are have submitted to him, who are not walk, walking in worldly ways. So God is, is separating his people, not for the purpose of who will be saved or who will not be saved, but for the purpose of who will be part of the remnant and who will not be part of the remnant. And, and who will be part of the remnant? Those who are walking in righteousness. Definitely, God only sees the heart, so you don't have to be perfect all the time. It's it's in your heart. What does your heart want to do? Does your heart want to be close to God, to to submit yourself to your Lord Yeshua, and serve Him? And do you want to walk in His ways? This is the heart. This is this is the way. God will make the decision. By the way, we have no way of knowing who will be in the remnant because one of the requirements is to stand faithful to the end. So only God knows. We, you know, the more I understand about this whole concept of the remnant, the more excited I get. The more I I really want to stand for God. I mean, I, I, I get goosebumps. I, I think, wow, maybe I could be part of the remnant. Now, if if I'm not part of the remnant, then God has made a wise decision. Then perhaps I'm not prepared, I'm not ready to be in that final battle. But I certainly do want to be there. And I, I think about it a lot, and I, and I do want to live my life in alignment and harmony with God, perhaps with the possibility of being part of that future activity. Now, um, <coughs> excuse me. what happens next? <coughs> uh, let me just read you here sort of a, a summary that I've written. Okay, the, the 
concept of selection permeates Romans 9 through 11. Paul expresses great sorrow and unceasing grief in his heart, wishing he were accursed and separated from Christ for the sake of his brethren. Now, what we have here at the beginning is that he's, he's this agony about his Jewish brethren who have not believed in Christ. That does not mean that they're not going to be saved. That does not mean that they don't belong to God anymore. Apparently, these Jews have not believed in Yeshua, the promised Messiah. This makes them accursed and separated from Christ. It, the, the curse is not that they're going to curse to hell. That's not what it is. The curse is that they're separated from Christ. You see, when we walk in righteousness, we're one in harmony with our Father. We do it through Christ, through making him Lord. That's the only way we can come to the Father, is through Christ. And so we are one with God. But when we walk in the ways of the world, we are separated from God. You see that in the Garden of Eden. Um, Adam and Eve were, were one with God until the sin, the fall, and then they were separated from God. And, God, and they were separated by sin, and God had to cover their sin, which was done metaphorically with those animal skins. So, um, so Paul it, it is is talking about the remnant, the Jews that he's talking to, and he's talking at the first in the first part of Romans nine to eleven. He's talking to his Jewish brethren. They would have understand this concept of of the birthright. They would have understood that they were born to the birthright, and Paul is accusing them of not being worthy of the inheritance of the birthright. That's what they would have understood. Now, Paul makes a sudden shift. He shifts from talking to the Jews to talking to Gentile believers. All right. Now, these Gentile believers were not as steeped in the Hebrew Scriptures as their Jewish brethren, but they certainly had learned some of the law, so Paul can bring in some of the law, but he's not going to bring it in with Halakhic Midrash. They probably would have had a difficult, difficult time with that. So take a look and see how Paul makes this sudden shift. We get in Romans 11.13, Paul says, I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle of, of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. So he, he suddenly shifts. He says, okay, I've been talking to these Jews over here, and I'm encouraging them to believe in Christ so that they can be part of the remnant, so that they are worthy to inherit the birthright. Now, shift gears, I'm going to talk to you Gentiles. That's what I'm going to do now. All right, this is where we begin to listen to the remnant of what I call the church, which means believers in Christ. All right. We get in here, and I, you know this passage, you know it well, we get the imagery of pruning and grafting an olive tree. The, the olive trees live for hundreds of years, and you have to prune off the old branches. Um, they may not be dead yet, but they're old. You want to prune off the old branches so that it will generate new life. There will be new young branches coming up. That's the imagery, and that's what's happening with God making a selection. He's, he's, he's um, separating out those who are like old and withered and you know not full of life, and he's selecting those that are, are the ones that are full of life because they're the ones who are walking in alignment with him, and that's when you are truly living, <laughs> is, is when you're walking in righteousness. I mean, you're in the process of dying when you're walking in the ways of the world. 
So this pruning generates new life. And then he says some of the branches were broken off. Now broken off means they were separated from Christ, separated from God, because when you walk in the ways of the world, you're separated from God. You have separated yourself from God. And they were separated by unbelief, says Paul. So the branches were broken off um, and because they were separated by unbelief. And then he has the little word, but. But is going to introduce a contrast. But you Gentiles, being a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. All right. So now what we see here, let me see, I want to read it to you. Okay. These are the words of Paul. Do not be arrogant toward the branches, but if you are arrogant, it is not you who supports the root, referring to Messiah, the Messiah, but the root supports you. Now let's go back here about arrogance. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. The, those branches are the ones that have been cut off. They have been cut off for their unbelief. They have been cut off because they are not worthy to inherit the birthright. They have been cut off. Do not be arrogant. They're still your brothers. They still belong to God, but they're not going to be in a leadership position. You now, Gentiles, are have an opportunity to rise up into that leadership position. All right? But beware, beware, because the, the root, Messiah, is supporting you. You know, you can't go off and walk all by yourself. You have to do everything through the Messiah. And then it goes on, Paul says, You will say then, branches were broken off, and those are the ones accursed and separated from Christ so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief. But, hear the word but, here comes a contrast. You stand by your faith, do not be conceited but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. So what we have here is we have that uh, through the imagery, you, you have to understand what's happening first to the children of Israel with the birthright, and then those that are entitled to the remnant, to be able to get it here. <laughs> and and what we have here is that all the Gentiles with faith in Christ belong to God, just like all the children of Israel belong to God. But God is making a selection. And out of all of his children, he is raising up those who are worthy of a leadership role. They are entitled to inherit the birthright, and they will be part of the remnant. Um, by the way, we then get, Paul goes on after he's done the olive tree, and he gives an image of grain offering. If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. Um, now, you remember that the grain offering at the temple was fine flour mixed with olive oil and incense. And he says, if the first piece of dough is holy, the first is the first fruits. First fruits were what were given to God. You give to God what is holy, what is best, what is right. By the way, the, the Hebrew word for, for first fruits, bikorim, is this, comes from the verbal root bahar, which means to be chosen or selected. And, and that same verbal root is used for the, for the birthright, and it's used for the firstborn. It's all part of the verbal, three-letter verbal root, meaning to choose or select. So, so you know, you, you, we must give the first fruits. Now what are the first fruits? James tells us that we are a kind of first fruits. We must give ourselves to God as holy, as holy, as righteous, as pure. We give ourselves 
to God as first fruits. If we're giving ourselves, then it's less than first fruits. It's like Cain. There's a distinction between uh, God, who accepted um, Abel, who gave the first fruits from his flock, but Cain only gave an offering. So we are to give the first fruits. If we do not give ourselves as first fruits, as what is best to God, then God will put us into that group that's not going to get the birthright. He's separating us out. All right. So, so what's important here is do not be arrogant toward the branches. The branches are those Jews who have been born to the birthright but are not going to, to inherit it. If God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. So this is where I came to, to, to first discover what God was, t- was telling um, the believers in Christ about the remnant. Oh, and, and God is no respecter of persons. He's treating us exactly the way he, he treats Israel. So we are all born to be children of God, all of us. By the way, we, I'm, I am not a Jew. I am a Gentile believer in Christ. I have not been born to the birthright. The Jews were born to the birthright because God said, you are my firstborn son. I have not been born to the birthright. I have been born as a child of God. But I'm in a different position from Israel. Israel was born to the birthright, but could lose it. I am not born to the birthright, but I can receive it. How do I receive it? Well, that all has to do with Christ, because Christ is the firstborn son. We read that. So to the extent that I am in Christ, I will be with him when he inherits his, his, uh, his, his birthright of inheritance. Now, I'm going to spend more time in the next, uh, my next teaching session talking about more about the, um, the, the believers in Christ, who are not Jews, the believers in Christ, and how, what we must do to be entitled to be part of that remnant. I'm going to do it in the next session, and I think it's a powerful teaching, actually, so I, I hope you'll tune in to listen to it. But mixed up with all of all of this that I'm that I've been working on now for a number of years and God has been showing me through my from my work in scripture is this this whole concept of the tribulation and the millennial kingdom which is very different from what's being taught today um you know the the time of tribulation is supposed to be a you know an agonizing time and because it's so terrible you know we don't want to be there that's that left behind series we want to be sure we're not there well, I haven't done a lot of work on the tribulation. God hasn't led me there. Um, maybe he will in time. I don't know. He has not led me there yet. But this much I know. If God wants me to be in the tribulation, to work in the tribulation, because I'm a part of a, the remnant and he needs me to be there, I will be there. If God does not want me to be there uh, for some reason, then I won't be there. It's all It's all up to God. I I just don't know, but I have this total trust, this total faith in God. And furthermore, the more I know, the more I uncover about what will be in the future, the more, uh, the more trust I have in God. The purpose of revealing prophecy, future prophecy, is so that we will stand now. So if all these stories about the tribulation and being left behind causes fear, concern, worry, guess who it's coming from? It's coming from the wrong God. We have to uh, get to know our God so well 
and and to have enough glimpse of true glimpse of the future of what's going to happen in the future that we stand now with total trust total faith in god by the way um go back to noah who was the first remnant and um noah was saved he was left he was rescued together with his family so i sort of leave you that there with a little food for thought i will see you in the next session shalom